Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring podcast, where Dr. Bradley Block, otolaryngologist, interviews experts in and out of medicine in order to get their take on how physicians and all healthcare practitioners can better help their patients, practices, colleagues, communities, and most of all, themselves. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On today's episode, we interview Dr. Eric Tate. Eric has an MD, MBA, and actually has his own podcast called The Physician's Road, a website of the same name. And what makes him really special is one year out of residency, he founded the Vernonville Asset Management Firm, which helps physicians to invest in private equity. He's found the key to happiness as a physician, and he breaks it down into five overlapping paths. He calls them the path of personal development, path of practice, path of health, path of relationships, and path of wealth. And we get some excellent advice from Eric on how to focus and improve on each of these. Without further ado, Eric Tate. Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. We're here with Eric Tate, MD, MBA, who actually has his own podcast and website uh, and asset management company which is one of the great reasons why we have him on the show here today. Uh, it's called The Physician's Road. You can find him on Facebook, on the website, uh, thephysiciansroad.com, and on the podcast, The Physician's Road. And uh, we'll circle back to that at the end. Uh, Eric went to Morehouse undergrad and then went to the Baylor Rice MD MBA program uh, and then uh, did residency in internal medicine. But the thing that really makes him fascinating is just one year out of residency, he founded an asset management firm called Vernonville Asset Management. You can find that on, what, what was the website again, Eric? Vernonville.com? Yeah, it's Vernonville.com. Vernonville.com. Yeah, V-E-R-N-O-N-V-I-L-L-E.com. So it's a, a, an investment firm that helps uh, people manage private equity. Uh, while and he, When he started, he was working as a full-time physician, but over the years, because of the success of this firm, uh, among his other ventures, he's actually managed to scale back from a full-time physician and now only sees patients one day a week. I think that's something that, that a lot of us would, would dream about. And he manages to, to use the other six days of the week to work on himself, his family, his asset management firm, and then helping other physicians to do the same. Um, and so Eric seems to have found the key to physician happiness. And he, he talks about it in terms of these five touchstones. And, and, and his key is just making people more mindful of these touchstones. He calls them um, the paths. So there's the path of personal development, the path of practice, the path of help, health, the path of relationships, and the path of wealth. And uh, at any point in your life, you, you'll be working on one or more of these. And just recognizing, though, that, uh, that it may be to the detriment of the other, because in your life, there are always uh, fluctuating priorities. But it's important to be mindful that all of them are out there and all of them need to be worked on. And the more that we can be mindful, the more we can actively manage them as, a, as an active participant instead of just being along for the ride. Uh, and so uh, I, I really recommend that everybody check out his websites and his podcast as, as he really takes much deeper dives in, into all of these issues. And so what we're going to ask of Eric today is to just give us some, some easy, actionable items on each of those things. So 
physicians get and other healthcare practitioners can can get a taste of of what he's discovered. So, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. No, thank you. I I, I truly appreciate uh, the 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 opportunity and and happy to help uh, as many physicians out there as possible. Kind of figure out what it is that they kind of I to say what it is you want to be when you grow up because we all tend to get on the the the, the path of medicine and and it we. We end up having tunnel vision in many ways, and so with that tunnel vision, oftentimes things get 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 left behind. I often like to say we 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 kind of go through a little bit of arrested development. Um, you know, put our heads down at eighteen, nineteen, and kind of pick our heads up again at thirty, and we've missed a lot of milestones, a lot of growing up and maturing milestones, oftentimes in that process. So um, just trying to kind of help people figure out kind of what it is they ultimately uh, want to do outside of just being a physician. One of my, uh, one of my co-residents husbands, uh, who's not a physician, uh, we were out for my 28th birthday during residency. And he said, man, 28 was a great year. It's a shame you're going to miss it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'll never forget. That was 11 years ago now, and I still <laughs> very memorable. Yeah, we do, we do, we do sacrifice a lot in, in order to do this. And you know, unfortunately, the physician burnout rate is is so high. So the question was, or the question is, you know, was it was it worth it? And I think it's great that you've you've found a way to make it uh, make it worth it. So so I think what we had talked about was personal development is really what sets the rest of this up. So if you could just speak for a minute about what you mean by personal development, uh, for me, personal development is, for me, what this podcast is all about. And, and there's, there's a psych, psychologist by the name of Carol Dweck, and she, she wrote this book called Mindset. And, and what, what it is, is we have a fixed, uh, people can have a fixed mindset, which means that they just feel like they have these static traits. And, and, and it turns out that it's not true. We don't have static traits. They're, they're fluid. People aren't born funny. You, at five years old, you make a couple of people laugh and then continue to uh, figure out as you get older, what makes people laugh. And then at 15, it seems like he's the funniest kid in class and he was just born that way. So it's not that he was born that way. It's, it developed over time and just, just under the radar. And so, so Eric and I both espouse the belief that personal development is, is the fact that we, we don't have static traits. We can improve ourselves. So Eric, what, what have you been up to and, and what do you recommend that is a simple, actionable thing that people can do to start down the path of personal development? Um, kind of the easiest thing to do, in all honesty, is to, to start with the classic. The classic is, you know, Napoleon, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. It's really not about getting rich. Uh, it's really about kind of understanding uh, the power that we have within the power within our subconscious to for us to be creators and to be the architects of our own lives. Um, you know, Napoleon Hill birthed lots of other people all the way down through Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy and all of these people. And so, you know, Napoleon Hill is kind of the easy person's introduction uh, into the kind of the personal development realm and, and world. Um, the person you would know most out there would be Tony Robbins. Uh, he's also heavy into personal development. Um, but for me, the simple thing about personal development is that what I'm trying to do at least personally is strip away everybody else's expectations of who I am and what I should be and really get down quietly into the core of what I, what I really want and what significant contribution I want to make to the world, what that is without any cultural overlays, religious overlays, 
racial overlays, gender overlays, just kind of who, who am I at, at my essence and how do I want that to manifest kind of in, in the world? So what, what, is the, what was the name of that book? One more time, Napoleon Hill. Yeah, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. So in order to, to start down the path of personal development, if you're looking to improve yourself, his, his recommendation is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Great, great uh, recommendation. Not something that I've read yet, but uh, it is now on the shortlist. So thank you for that, that recommendation. So the, the next um, uh, path that you, you discuss is the path of practice. So when you say practice, first, what exactly are you referring to? So what I mean by practice is actual, our, our professional lives. And so in the end, I don't want to box people in and say, well, you need to be a practicing clinician or you need to be out of clinical medicine. In the end, really the path of practice is about your pro- professional development. What, irrespective of what pathway you've chosen in terms of clinical versus non-clinical, how do you effectuate the most effective use of your professional time? Um, And how do you marshal resources to make that be, to create the kind of professional life that you really want to have? So how would we find an action item in that? And so if if people are looking to start down the path of practice and improve their uh, professional life as a physician, is it the physician-patient relationship? Is it uh, their relationship with their colleagues or their staff? Is it somehow um, improving their their reimbursement? Like, what 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 is something that they can they can do to start improving their practice? And so, a lot of it's going to be where you where you're finding most of your problems. And so, the the, the old adage is where you where you find resistance in your life is a place you really need to look. And so the thing that you're resisting most, the thing that you, that kind of irks you the most, is probably the thing you need to dig out a little bit and figure out what that is. And so, so if it, it, yeah, exactly. You 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 run towards your freedom is in your pain, technically, and that's very true. And so, so maybe find what you wait to do till the end of the day because you really don't want to do it, and that's correct. probably the thing that you can explore. Why don't you want to do it, and what can you do to make that less painful? Absolutely. And the other thing is what I find with, with working with physicians is uh, we tend to be do-it-yourselfers as opposed to on the business side, we, we bring in teams for everything. And so ultimately, because we tend to do um, a lot of CMEs around subject matter of medicine, we don't tend to do the same kind of um, professional development as it relates to non-subject matter things. And so whether it is hiring a coach, whether it is bringing in an an outside billing company, whether it is, you know, taking things off of our plate and giving it to people who are experts, as opposed to us trying to necessarily muddle through it. Um, Sometimes going and finding expertise can actually free us uh, as opposed to, we tend to assume oftentimes, I think, and my personality is that way that I can do it better than everybody else. And, you know, playing in business a lot, I realized that no, you, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You want to bring in people smarter than you and the subject matters where you are having the most pain. I forgot where I heard this, but you want to hire the smartest person in the room. You don't want to be the smartest person. You want to be in, a, Correct. in, in the position to hire that person. Absolutely. Um, so, it's, a, it's the old Henry Ford story. What was, uh, what was your, either your first or most memorable pain point that you were able to outsource? What, what really either sent you down this road to improve your path of practice that you found to be most painful or the most significant? Well, for me, it was probably starting my own practice. The first 10 years out, um, I was employed. I said I never wanted to own a practice because I'm primary care. It's very low margin. 
didn't want to deal with the hassles and the headaches of um, employees and the back off and all, and all of those kinds of things. And when I made the decision to spin out of being employed, I just created a small micro practice. It's kind of, you know, the one thing I said I would never do, I'm doing, and it ended up giving me the most freedom uh, in that process. So for me, that was the biggest kind of bridge to cross uh, in my own life in terms of looking at the thing that I said I would never do and then actually end up doing it. Oh, that's interesting. So my, my experience has been quite the opposite. I, I joined a practice right out of residency that is a well-oiled machine. So if you want, you can get involved in uh, some aspects of the management of the group, or you can just put your head down and see your patients and go home. And you can get as involved as 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 you desire. And so um, I'm I'm certainly involved in in some of the committees, uh, but um, the fact that most of the aspects of running uh, running the practice just happen in this well-oiled machine has been uh, has been for me I think great because then I just 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 simplifies just simplifies my life. But it's, yep. it's interesting that we have two or two we're two sides of the two sides of the coin. Absolutely, and then clearly that was not your pain point. No, well, I mean, I didn't. I was right out of residency, so I didn't. I didn't think that running a practice. I didn't even think of it as as being an option. So, uh, but it's it's nice, I think, for a lot of our listeners to hear that it is it is possible to do. Um, so, so the next is the path of health. Obviously, that is your physical and mental health. So, what what is when you when you meet with physicians, what do you find is a common issue that they have? that is obstructing them from going down the path to health. Well, and the thing about it is, you know, it's not just the physical, right? It's, it's also the emotional, the psychological, the spiritual. Um, you know, many of us got into medicine as a calling. We got into it to help other people. And many of, many of, the, of that light and that passion ends up getting beat, beaten out of us through the training process and then coming out and then dealing with all the hassles and rigmarole of of medicine. And so honestly, it's really the broken spirits that are what we see more often than anything else, not necessarily kind of people who are massively overweight or, you know, as a population, I don't think we as physicians are overly unhealthy um, vis-a-vis the rest of the population, but from a spiritual and emotional that's standpoint. A, that's a low bar though. Yeah. That's- well, that may be true, but, but from, a, from a spiritual and emotional standpoint, that's where you see the issue. That's where you see the suicidality, where we are much higher than the, than the, than the population, the general population. So these, are, these aren't really separate paths. This is more like a Venn diagram, right? Because clearly your recommendations for the path of practice, finding your pain points and outsourcing them is going to then improve the path of health. Exactly. This is all an intertwining. This is all intertwined. It's a life balance wheel and it's all intertwined. They can't You're not saying eat more salads. No, it's I mean, of course, I mean, we can all probably do do that, but that's not the the big point that 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 I'm seeing when I'm interacting with physicians on a regular basis. It's really that 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 emotional and spiritual and mental kind of breaking point that people are at uh, right now that that's the big, big issue. And they should eat more salads. And they should eat more salads. And exercise more and probably stretch. Meditate. I think think meditation. Yes. Meditation is huge. Um, I think, and this is something I'm, I'm uh, because I can't touch my toes. um, Stretching is, you know, when we see people uh, older and uh, if you walk like an older person, you would think would walk. That's mostly a flexibility issue and flexibility decreases as you age. And so if you want to continue to be vibrant 
flexibility also for uh, for injury prevention. So, but that's that's absolutely. I, I have mostly Medicare patients, and I'm sending them to yoga and Pilates classes all the time. Fantastic, and that that gives them a community as well, which is which gets us to the next path seamlessly, seamlessly. Absolutely. The path of relationships. Seemingly, if you get rid of some of your pain points, it improves your uh, mental health and that will spill over into your relationships. But if, is there something specific that you've seen with physicians, again, an, an, an actionable item that, that you think our listeners can do to improve their relationships, be it with a, their spouse, their children, their partners, their employees? What, what do you think is either something easy to do or something that you commonly see as, as a problem? Well, again, you, you said it and it's it's true. It's 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 the mindfulness, right? It's the understanding that those human interactions and connections can't just be put on autopilot. That you actually have to f- see the person. And I don't mean just, you know, visualize them, but actually see the people that you are with, whether it be your colleagues, your significant others, your, you know, your parents, aging parents, you know, children, being present with the people you are with when you are with them. You know, be be or the the proverb says, you know, be where your where, where your feet are, where your feet are planted, and that's why I say a lot of these are, are touchstones because being cognizant that these things are important is often enough that you will take the half second, the five minutes, just to connect with someone, right? But we oftentimes get so much on the treadmill that this stuff just kind of we're just not thinking about it. We're just trying to get through our day. We're just trying to get through our charts. We're just trying to trying to figure out kind of how to keep our heads above water. And some of it is just taking the pause and saying, oh, I have somebody in the house with me. I have a child. I have an adult who's thinking about me. I have family members who I haven't connected with. And so some of it is just a reminder like, oh, okay. I need to spend some time with these people. And a lot of times it's not a lot of time. It's the, it, but it's the fact that you've made the gesture to prioritize someone else and that they know that you're prioritizing them that makes all the difference in the connection. Um, and so, you know, from a, from a pure practical standpoint, um, you know, re- retreats are always good. Uh, if you're talking about kind of couples or significant other types type things where it's just dedicated time um, from that standpoint. Um, if you're talking about colleagues, the only thing I think about is if you're in a toxic kind of work environment is, you know, it's hard, right? Because if, you, if you're not the person who run the, runs that particular environment, you may not be able to bring in outside mediators or team building exercises. These are all the kinds of things that rarely happen. At least I don't see them happening a lot in medicine that the business world tends to do. Now, whether or not the business no, world- No, because those are patients. Better. That's time they could be spent seeing patients. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to go on a retreat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, some of that resetting of, of expectations, and I don't mean lowering your expectations, I mean resetting of expectations- as to what our lives look like, because the only reason why you're pushing the productivity of seeing more patients is so that you can create more revenue, right? Well, you know, that will very easily and seamlessly move us into the next pathway in terms of kind of how you take those revenue pressures off of yourself personally. But before we do, there was something that you mentioned and it's, you said, be present. And I think that is um, something, at least for myself, that I've found to be hugely important for both my practice and my relationships. So uh, with my practice, you know, when you're in medical school, you have to listen. Your patients want you to listen. Don't interrupt your patients. They, they don't think you're listening. Um, you'd be a better listener, right? Well, listen, listen, listen. I don't think it's such great advice um, because it's not actionable. But I think being the, the concept of being present. So not only should you be present, 
which means you're focused on your patient and you're not thinking of anything else, but you should also look like you're present. And so even though it might seem like, um, you, you know, it might seem to your patient, like when you're typing on your EMR that you're playing Minesweeper, just, you know, informing them that you're just, you know, writing them down. So it's important for you to be present so that they, um, that they feel like their time is, is worth something, uh, but also that, that you also make it appear that way. So it doesn't, even though you are present, make it look like you're present. And that's something for my relationships that, that's helped me with my kids. You know, I keep on hearing, it goes so fast, it goes so fast, it goes so fast. Great, that's great advice. Thank you so much for telling me that it's gonna go fast because you know what, it hasn't been five minutes that someone else hasn't told me that it goes so fast. I recognize that, it goes fast, right? The, the days are uh, long, but the years are short, right? But I think something that that is actionable for that is be present. When you're with your kids, don't think about work. Don't think about your business. Don't think about the renovations of your house. Don't think about your bills. When you're ki- with your kids, just make sure, and you're gonna find your mind wandering, which is kind of what you were mentioning about meditation, right? Meditation is a practice that helps you manage that mind wandering issue. But um, I think being being present when you're with your with your friends, being present when you're with your family, that that'll help uh, your practice and it'll help your relationships. And it takes practice, kind of like that whole thing I mentioned with Carol Dweck and mindset. It's something that you can improve with practice. So so I'm, I, I I appreciate you you mentioning that because I just I found that to be so hugely important being being present. And so you know making enough time for uh, for relationships is hard if you are working a ton. So then, as you mentioned, leads into the path of wealth. And so as someone who founded and manages an asset management firm while he's a practicing physician, uh, obviously that gives you tons of uh, credentialing with our, uh, our physician audience. Um, you were pretty, uh, that's it's a pretty incredible feat. And so why don't you talk to us about getting physicians on the path to wealth? Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing, I, what I tell people is I, I really give people you know, I really tell people what to do. What I what I can tell people is I can show you what I've done, right? And so I realized at an early step, um, actually when I was in business school, um, I realized that there's only so many hours in the day you can labor. Um, and that if I wanted to be able to not have to labor for whatever reason, right? For me, it was, I wanted to practice in a particular kind of way. I wanted to practice medicine in a specific way. And I didn't want the pressures of productivity and assembly line medicine getting in the way of that. And so what I figured was I would need to replace my income in some way, shape, form, or fashion. For me, you know, doing franchises or operating businesses wasn't going to make sense because I was a practicing physician. And so, you know, investing in real estate and being kind of a silent partner in businesses, but with the understanding that I was not going to invest in anything that did not generate income directly to me because I wanted to replace my medical income. And so that was the whole focus of everything that I did. And so the investment firm was really set up by my accountant for us to manage our own properties. And then over time, we just had other physicians who wanted to invest with us. So then we allowed other physicians to join us in the things that we were doing. But this is the way I've always invested our family money in the world to give us the time to be able to operate our practices, pay attention to our health have great relationships. And so what I understood was from the personal development side, I figured out what I wanted. On the wealth side, I figured out how to achieve it by getting more time. And then that allowed practice health and relationships to follow from that. And that's why this whole thing kind of intertwines from that standpoint. So so it sounds like you've found, for, for you, the path to wealth has been 
investing specifically in, in real estate. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I would say probably 80%. Yeah. So, so if a physician wants to dip their toe in that pool, how do you get started doing something like that? It, it would seem, you know, uh, for physicians that are kind of early on in the careers with not much savings, right? Because we have that delayed, uh, delayed gratification, delayed monetary um, reimbursement. Um, we don't have a lot of savings. And so if, if, if you're talking about buying a $150,000 apartment that you're then going to rent out to someone else, that is a substantial amount. That's a, you know, it sounds like a substantial risk. How do you recommend we get started in something like that? Well, well, the first thing you want to do is figure out if it's, if that's even what you want to do, right? So that goes back to kind of the personal development, kind of figure out what, what, what are your ultimate goals, right? So then you start with the ultimate goals. What is it that I want to accomplish? And if you're like, okay, well, I want income streams that are recognized that I want to have. Well, you're talking about dividend producing stocks, even though the, the rate of return is below inflation. Bonds, same issue you have with that. Private businesses, real estate, things of that nature. So you have to decide if that's what you want. Once you decided that that's what you want, now you have to figure out how do you want to do it, right? Do you want to be the person that manages it? So you're probably not going to buy an apartment for 150000 but you could buy a house. And you don't have to have 150000 You only have to have about 30% of that. And so you're talking about, I don't do math in my head quickly, easily. So 20, 30, about $40,000, right? And so it's just a matter of choice, right? I chose to, to personally direct our resources to doing this thing. People choose to direct their resources to other places. People choose to put them in 401ks. People choose to put them in IRAs. Again, that's a personal choice, but everyone has to live with the consequences of their personal choices, right? And so that's why figuring out what you want to do is the first thing first. And then you then go and find strategies that make sense for you to be able to do that. If you decide that, yeah, I want to be in real estate, but I don't want to, I don't want to manage any of that, then you would end up going into syndications, which are larger group investments, you know, anywhere from you can go the crowdfunding route, which is, you know, zero to twenty thousand dollars to, you know, more of the private syndications, which are usually fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, right? Again, it all depends on kind of what it is you ultimately want. And then if you're in private practice, you can have accounts that use your tax deferred money and you can put that into real estate if you wanted to as well. Now, most financial planners don't tell you anything about that, but the IRS absolutely allows you to do it. Um, and then, you know, there's Roth conversions. There, there are lots of ways to, to, to skin a cat. But again, it, it all is going to start from what it is you want to accomplish. Not what other people are telling you should accomplish, not what you've heard other people do, but what you within yourself say, hey, this is what I want my life to look like in the next two years, five years, seven years, 10 years from now. And then how do I have my investment portfolio support the goals that I'm trying to achieve? So it sounds like, you know, what you were saying, 80% of your investments are, are in real estate. And if a physician wanted to do that in a, or rather get started in that, rather than being the sole owner of a property, they could seek out a syndication um or is it, is it like a crowdfunding syndication is that well well crowdfunding is a type of syndication all syndication is, is a group investment so yeah. any any major building you see hotel apartment apartment building they're all syndications 
It's just a matter of whose money is being used, whether it's your insurance premiums through your insurance company, whether it's through private equity, whether it's through a group of doctors getting together and doing it. All of the major developments that you see out there are syndications. The crowdfunding is for individuals on, on kind of a lower income, not lower income, lower investment amount end. And the bigger syndications are usually on a higher end. Um, but all it is is a group investment. I mean, technically, all a mutual fund is is a group investment. You're pulling your money to go buy stocks, right? So it's, it's just group investing, but buying a different asset class. Well, that, that sounds to me, so you know, one, of the, one of the benefits of investing in, in the market is you're diversified, right? So if you invest in the market and you buy an index fund of the whole market, it's, it's hard to be more diversified than that. But if you're taking a significant sum of, sum of money and putting it into a building, that to me sounds less less diversified and, and thus a bigger risk, clearly bigger rewards, but also a, a bigger risk. So I would think that that's what would cause physicians, on top of just not knowing that things like this are even out there as an option, right? They, probably most people think, own an apartment, own a building, I, that's too complicated, that's a lot of headaches, that's a lot of hassle. You're making it sound like, no, actually, it's much simpler, uh, as long as you know who to talk to and where to find it, it's, it's much simpler to do th- than that. But another thing I think people would be concerned about is now it sounds like you're less diversified. More of your eggs are in fewer baskets. So isn't that putting your, your, your money at higher risk? Well, depends on how you define risk, right? I mean, ultimately, you know, for me, real things, the risk is always in the investor, not the investment. So it's really just a knowledge base, right? I could ask anyone who, who has a 401k and ask them, what's your largest holding in that 401k? They wouldn't be able to tell me. They couldn't tell me who the biggest competitors are of the largest holders in their 401k. I mean, so again, risk is in the investor, not the investment. I would say from that standpoint. The second thing is it's purely from an asset allocation standpoint, having all of your money in the publicly traded stocks and bond markets, you're not diversified. You have to have some private investments to be truly diversified. We saw in 2008 and 2009, something called correlation. And so what that means is the linkages between all asset classes, stocks, bonds, everything in the public markets is very tight these days. And I could go into a lot of technical reasons why that is. Um, But what we saw is that all these asset classes fell at the same time, which is technically not supposed to happen if you're quote unquote diversified, right? Well, you know, on, and I don't want this to be a stocks versus real estate thing, because, and again, I'm about asset allocation. So but, but wasn't it that the market fell because the real estate market crashed? Well, no, actually it was basically the 20% tranches of securitized funds that went bad. And the problem was pe- people had written derivatives off of those. And so once the value of the ratings of those mortgage bonds, because it wasn't the real estate, it was really the bonds. Um, once the value of those bonds dropped, it caused a cascading chain of react, chain reaction where people had to get liquid. And the only thing they could get liquid with was kind of stocks, bonds, and those kinds of things. And so big, and I, you know, I don't want to bore your listeners with the technical analysis of all that. And there's a great book if they, anybody wants to read it uh, called The Deformation of, of Capitalism, David Stockman. I may be getting the, the title incorrect, but David Stockman, who was Reagan's budget director, wrote a perfect treatise that explain exactly what happened during the, the meltdown um, and that it was pretty well contained, um, but for reasons that the government likes to 
kind of back the Wall Street guys that all that bailout happened, which has created an even further distortion in the market today. But again, we're going off on a much more technical situation. So now moving it back to diversification, I mean, I can look at my own portfolio. I mean, we own single family homes, multifamily properties, farmland, uh, commercial strip centers. I mean, I'm pretty well diversified. I mean, we own in the United States, outside the United States, in foreign countries with foreign currencies, pretty well diversified, right? So it's really more a matter of your understanding of what you're actually invested in, which will kind of determine the risk, right? I mean, an apartment is pretty easy. People need a place to live. The question you have to ask yourself is, is there a good job growth in the area? Are they building a lot of other apartments in the area? I mean, these are all things that, you know, a high school kid can understand. Um, and so for me, that's why it's, it's a much, they're far less moving parts than me trying to figure out what, you know, the Fed is going to do and how it's going to affect my 401k and IRA balance. It's just that that's just too opaque for me personally. Well, I think, you know, the reason that, that uh, one of the recommendations for investing in index funds, uh, instead of trying to pick stocks is that it's opaque to everybody. Right, like unless you have some insider trading information, then um, and and that's really what I think you're you're saying here is 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 the market in general is also everybody knows everything about what they should know about the market, right? Everything is transparent. But you're what you're doing is you're finding investments that other people don't have information on because you're getting the information about the school districts and the job opportunities and the and and because um, this isn't. Well, maybe public information. These these investments aren't available to everybody. That puts you, who did the research on these things, at an advantage. Um, it's almost like insider legal insider trading information. You know something. You have access to information that other people may also have access to. But but in contrast to the market, where you have tons of people doing research on these things and uh, you know recommending that their funds do these things. Um, you know, this apartment building in uh, the outskirts of Houston, um, a lot of people aren't doing uh, this, this the research on this. So you're not, um, you, you don't have that, that competition. Um, yeah. you, you I'll give you a perfect example. Project. So the last project we did is a 100,000 square foot commercial strip center. We've got a bunch of physicians who, who joined us on that project. A REIT was selling it. And the president of the REIT didn't even realize the junior guy was selling it. But by the time the contract was already signed, there was a little bit of vacancy. 70 plus percent of the of the place was occupied by credit tenants. So TJ Maxx and things like that. The day of closing, our partners had two other leases signed, ready to go, that added roughly two and a half million dollars to the bottom line. So that was relationships. That was understanding the market. There's so much information asymmetry when it comes to real estate. That's the inefficiencies that you can exploit. That's the word I was looking if efficient. The market is perfectly efficient, but what you're identifying is the inefficiencies in these other uh, private equity investments and then capitalizing on them. And I, I may be incorrect about this, but I'm pretty sure Arnold Schwarzenegger did not make most of his money from Conan the Barbarian, which I would argue is one of the greatest movies of all time. But it was. It was from uh, twins. No, it was from <laughs> real estate investments. So I think he made most of his money there. I mean, he was able to make these investments because of what he made from the from the movies, which he you know started bodybuilding. But um, but most of his money was 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 in, in real estate investments. Absolutely. If you look at the Forbes 400 outside of the tech guys, most of that list is is are real estate people. So just to if someone wants to dip their toe into it, just to get just a taste, right? Of, of what that means 
where do you find that um, the crowdfunding? How do I, what, what's the website that I look at? What's the uh, book that I read? What is, how do I, how do I uh, find out more about this? Oh, uh, off the top of my head, because they've approached us for some of our projects and we've never gone with them. I mean, contact I Vernon Bell Asset there. Management. No, because we're not a crowdfund. You know, because okay. we're not crowdfunding. We okay. don't. Yeah, we 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 believe in in actually having a personal relationship with people. The the issue with crowdfunding is you're not going to ever meet the the person who's putting the project together. Um, and I'm not saying that there's there's anything wrong with it. You can buy it like a mutual fund. And also, your well, really, is your investment as liquid as that? No, it's not as liquid, but you can okay. you can point and click. Got right? it. Got it. Okay, so it's easy to easy to easy to do. Yeah, but, it's just Google. But importantly, yeah, Google crowdfund. not liquid. So if yeah. you need that money you can't get it as, as easily as you can. No, no. I would just say Google crowdfunding. And okay. really, again, it's about you understanding what it is you're investing in, not the not the mode through which you're getting the investment, right? Because they're all syndications. So you're still going to have to understand what a syndication is, whether you go with crowdfunding or with a private. And you project. have a fantastic podcast on that that I was listening to. So yeah, I think in order to wrap this up, the Eric Tate, thank you very much for your time. Uh, this was a great, I was blown away. I, I really appreciate your, your sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. And uh, if you found this as interesting, even as half as interesting as I did, you're going to want to know where to find him. So again, uh, thephysiciansroad.com. The Physician Road has a Facebook page as well that you can find. Uh, his company, Vernonville Asset Management, is at vernonville.com. His podcast, The Physician's Road, so look that up on Spotify or Stitcher or uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts or whatever you get your wherever you get this podcast. Clearly, if you're listening to this, you know where to find podcasts. Um, is there anywhere any, any last words or um, any other places where they where they can find you? No, I think that's pretty pretty well it. I mean, I'm I'm easily Googleable. Uh, last name is Tate T A I T. Uh, but I just want to thank you uh, and for what you're doing uh, for for physicians and highlighting other physicians and kind of giving a platform to let the world know that there are many ways for us to exist uh, in this space. And so, Brad, I, I, I really appreciate you uh, uh, having me on. It's been a pleasure. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Find all previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and write us a review. You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash physician's guide to doctoring. If you are interested in being a guest or have questions for a prior guest, send a message or post a comment.